died for us. Romans 5, 8. Thank you for that special there. Thank you for the music service today. I don't know about you, but I was having to sing a lot faster than I usually do. Okay, that means he was playing that and the songs were, words were coming up and going and they were gone before I could ever get them out. So some of you are better singers than I am, obviously, but I'm trying, trust me, I'm trying. Uh, we'll be in Colossians again if you want to turn there. <clears throat> I have a little sticky note in my Bible that I put, that, put in here a long time ago, a long time ago. And it's talking about Colossians and it says, powerful chapter one. Reread and study. And I felt like that's where God is wanting us to go here for a while. I've been wanting to get there, and I guess he had other things that we needed to look at first. But I'm so grateful for our Lord and Savior who leads, guides, and directs us uh, in what we do. Uh, let's see. Uh, let's pray before we get started, okay? Father, we again just come praising your name and so thankful for who you are. God, I'm just going to ask you to hide me behind your cross. Father, I'm going to ask you to uh, uh, stretch your hand out, Father, and touch my mouth and give me your words. I thank you for that verse in Jeremiah that says that. Father, I pray for for the hearers of the message that this message will go forth. And not return void like your word says. So God, we thank you for that. Looking forward to what we're going to do today. Father, just open ears and open hearts to be receptive to your message. In your name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Last week, we were began looking at uh, the book of Colossians. And the awesomeness of this book. And we talked about many things last week. It, for two chapters, we talked about a lot of stuff, didn't we? And just a quick reminder to kind of give you a preview of what's coming up is that, you know, he talked about this church and, and, and this church of Colossae that, that they were beginning to allow some stuff into their church that was not biblical. Uh, they began to look at astrology and philosophy and, and this idea of enlightenment and wisdom and all that kind of stuff and, and how it was unbiblical and, and Paul was going to nip that in the bud before it got too crazy. Uh, you remember he talked about fellowship. The importance of fellowship within the body of, of, of Christ and relationships and how important relationships were and, and, and fellowship and, and the bond of Christian love for, for each other and how important that was to, to be able to do that. He also talked about, if you remember, uh, he compared and contrasted the, the, the carnal Christian, that person who, is, who has, maybe has made a profession of faith but has never really gone any deeper than that. And and, and he made the statement that, that how easy it would be for people uh, to receive some of this heresy and some of these false teachings and, docu- and doctrines if they were really just, just kind of on the edges of their Christianity where they haven't been rooted and grounded in the Word and how easy it would be to, to accept that kind of stuff. And he kind of warned against that. And then he talked about those faithful believers that were committed, that were strong, that rooted and grounded, knew what God's Word said, and that would have never never allow falseness into into the church and 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 for two chapter two verses i mean he gave he gave quite a bit there didn't he today we're going to look at a couple of things uh in the next verses of chapter one uh we're going to be uh, uh we're going to look at the the two pillars if you would of the christian 
Christian's life. Two pillars, two things that we stand on that are bedrock. We're going to look at the hope that that brings to every Christian, and then we're going to look at the source of, of that hope in the next few verses. We'll be, we'll be looking at uh, starting in verse 3 through 8 is where we will be today. And I hope this message will speak to you as a Christian and speak to you as a, as a church. Let's begin on verse 3, and let's see what, what it says. It says in Paul's writing, he says here again, he said, We give thanks to God the Father of our Lord Jesus, praying always for you. Paul was a very thankful person. If you, if you look at any of his writings, he, he has this attitude of, of, of gratitude. And he is so thankful as he will continue to write in verse 4. He is thankful for the faith that he has in Christ. He is thankful for the faith that he has. He is thankful for the faith that his, the church of Colossae has. He is thankful for all kinds of faith that, that relates to the Christian, the Christian's walk. And he is thankful for that because he knows where he came from, doesn't he? He knows what his past was and he knows what, what God did to him on that Damascus road. And he is so very thankful for that. The second thing that we will see that he is thankful for is the love. The love that God has for him. He is thankful for the love that God has for the, the people of Colossae and the love he has for the church of Colossae. And, and as he's thinking about them and he's writing this, uh, he is, his attitude is, I am so thankful, Father, for this. I am thankful for the faith that you have given us, me, and them. I'm thankful for the love and how you demonstrated that on the cross. And that I am thankful because as Christians, we cannot have a successful Christian life, can we, without faith and without love. So we're going to look at those two things today here just real quickly, faith and love, and what it means to you and me as, as believers. In verse 4, we find those words. We see, since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, we have heard of your faith and the love which you have for all of the saints. Faith and love are the foundations that we live by as Christians. It's even mentioned in uh, 1 John three twenty three. This this pillars that we have. It says, in this commandment that we believe or have faith in the name of Jesus Christ. And we have love for one another just as he has commanded us. So what is that faith that he's talking about there? What is the, the faith that he is so thankful for? You know, so many times as people, uh, we have faith. But that faith is... I can be strong enough to make it through this old world. I can do it. I can have enough faith that no matter what happens to me, I will be able to get through all of this. I can be successful in life because of the abilities that I have. And I have faith in myself and I have faith in others that, that when it's all said and done, I'm going to have this good life. Because of what I have been able to do. The faith I have in myself. And, and we all are called to have confidence in ourselves. That's true. 
But the world tells us that faith springs from who you are and your ability to be able to handle life and whatever life throws at you. But you see, that's not biblical faith. That is not the faith of a Christian. That's not the faith that Paul is talking about here. You see, the faith that he's talking about here is faith in a person, and it's not yourself. (laughs) Faith he's talking about is the person of Jesus Christ, having a belief in Jesus Christ. Because you see, without Jesus in the person's life, there is no way that a person can ever have a relationship with Holy God. We have a relationship with Him only through Jesus Christ. And that's where that faith comes in, that faith in a person. We cannot have eternal security without having faith in the person of Jesus Christ. And you can see why Paul is so thankful there that he has that faith in Christ. What does that faith look like? Faith in Jesus means that God, holy God, looks down upon his children as a father looks down upon his children. Now think about that. As I, as I see the young couples in, in our church today, and, 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 and I'll just use Drew and Brooklyn as an example, I see how they interact with Kimber. I see how they, everything they do is one eye is kind of on her to make sure that she gets pointed in the right direction of life, to make sure that she is being protected, make sure that she is, being, she is getting what she needs in this life. And I believe that is a picture of what faith in Jesus means, that God the Father is always watching over us, His children, as a father watches over His children. I believe faith in Jesus means that that God will direct us and guide us through the life struggles, through life's temptations, through life's trials. When we have faith in Jesus, God is ready to step in there and say, I will be with you and never forsake you no matter what. When life throws you that curveball that we all know is coming. We know that faith in Jesus gives us the strength in order to be able to live this life. I think so many times we forget the power that a Christian has to be able to negotiate life. You know what that power is? That power is the Holy Spirit. That power is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. That power lives within us. Holy God Himself in the Holy Spirit lives within every believer. I don't know about you, but that's power. That is the power, the power that spoke light into existence, that kind of power, that that power that, that spoke the dead into life, that power lives within us. That's faith in Jesus, and that's what it means. We have that power. Faith in Jesus means that one day we will live forever in eternity with Him. One day we will never be separated from Him. We're not separated today, and we'll never be separated for eternity. You see, faith in Jesus means that. And Paul says, I am so thankful. (laughs) I am so thankful for that kind of faith. Because I got a father who loves me, who cares for me. He is watching over me. He is leading, guiding, and directing me. And one day he he will keep his promise that when I pass from here, I will be with him forever 
and forever. What a great time that is. But what does that mean to you just right, just personally? Faith in Jesus. What does it mean to you as you sit in this pew today and, and listen to the message? Just what does faith in Jesus really do for you today? Well, let me tell you. Faith in Jesus means he is governing your life. But what do you mean by that? It means the things that we say, the things that we do, the way we react, the decisions that we make, how we spend our time and our talent and our tithe, all should be governed, be controlled by the life of Christ. The things we speak and the things we think, the say, the decisions, all that kind of stuff must be, should be, hopefully it is, brings glory and honor to Christ because we are called to live a life that looks like Christ, are we not? Faith in Christ says, I want to help you with all of those areas in your life. And as you live your life and you do those things that are pleasing to me and say and speak, that is just another reflection of faith that we have in Jesus. Paul is so thankful for that faith in Jesus, is he not? Because he knows what it means to, to everyday Christian as we live our lives for him. That is the first pillar of the Christian life is faith in Jesus. The second one we see in that verse, in verse, uh, in verse 4, it says, The love which you have have for the saints. The love you have for the saints. We all know, don't we, that we are to love everybody. I mean, the, the Bible tells us that over and over. We are to love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind, and we are to love one another. We know that. But in this verse, in this verse of chapter 1, Paul's kind of narrowing that down. Yes, we love everybody, but what he is saying here in this verse, love which you have for the saints. And in this verse is talking about the love a Christian has for other Christians. The love a Christian has for other Christians. That must have been an issue in his church. That must have been a problem in his church. Christians loving other Christians. Christians loving the same people that sit on your pew. Christians loving other Christians that sit on the other side of the church. Paul is addressing that. He says, that is, we are to love the other brothers and sisters in Christ. Why is that? Why, do we, why is he wanting to make that point in this church that very easily could be heading in the wrong direction? That you've got to love God's children. Well, why do we do that? You see, when you became a Christian, you made Jesus your Lord and Savior. And when that person that sits by you or sits on your pew, when they got saved, they too became and made Jesus their Lord and Savior. You see, we have a common bond in Christ, do we not? As Christians, we are, we, in a sense, are bonded at the hip, if you would, because we both have made Jesus our Lord and our Savior. We have, as Christians, the same desires, or we should. 
we should have the same goals of each of us because we have been born again. And those desires and those goals are to live a life that looks like Christ, to be more Christ-like. That is my goal. That should be Harmon's goal. That should be all of our goals, to live a life that looks like Christ, to pursue the things that Christ would pursue, to be obedient to God's commands. Christians, we are to be obedient, are we not? To his God's command. We are called to live a life that is God honoring. Every Christian in this room, that's what we've been called to do. No matter what side of the church you sit on, no matter what pew, we have this common bond. And the biggest common bond that we have as Christians is we have the Holy Spirit that indwells our heart. We have the Holy Spirit. Every Christian has the Holy Spirit. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not a Christian. That's not me speaking. That's from, straight from God's Word. You see, you see, we have the Holy Spirit who is, is what? What does He do in our lives? He produces fruit, does He not? The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Against which there is no remedy. There is no cause. You see, every Christian has that. Every Christian is, is, he is trying to produce through obedience and prayer in each of our lives those fruits. So you see, we have this common bond. We have this common strength as Christians. And Paul is telling them and he's telling us that Christians, we have got to be able to love other Christians. Because we have the same heartbeat. That heartbeat is for Christ. We have the same love that God has given to us. We have the same passions. We have the same fruit. We have the same goals in life. And Paul would say, and he's telling them, and he's telling us, and he's telling every church in America, there is no room in a church, no room in a church for any kind of division because we have the common bond of Christ. There is no room in a church to have arguments all the time. In disagreements, we might disagree, but it's not a big deal. There's no, no room in a church to have strife or hard feelings. Why? Because we have a bond in Christ and a love that he's given to us. And we must love the brethren. There is never excuse not to love the brethren. First Peter 1.22 says it this way. Since you have in obedience to the truth, you're being obedient to the truth. You're doing what God's word says. Purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren. Purify, cleanse a sincere love for each other. Fervently love one another from the heart. I'm glad he put that part in there. That's the hard part from the heart. Because we can kind of look like we love everybody, and yet we still don't love all the believers. He says, no, no, no. Fervently love people from the heart. Honestly, honestly, have the love that God has given to you to love other believers in your church, in your community, and where you are at. Those are the two pillars that the Christian life is, is built on. The pillars of faith, faith in the person of Jesus, the pillar of loving 
the Lord with all your heart, loving others and specifically with a, with a special kind of love that we love other believers, other Christians, other people in your church, other people on your pew. In verse 5, we see continuing on, this is kind of cool too. He says, because of, we have hope laid up for you in heaven of which you previously heard in the words of truth and the gospel. We have heard of the hope because of these great pillars of faith and love. We have hope. The world will tell you hope. (laughs) The world will tell you that hope is maybe, could be, I sure wish it would happen. I mean, even, even I, when I see the word hope, I think about that. Maybe. Yeah, it could be. I sure wish it would. That's not what hope is. That's not biblical hope. Did you know that? You've got a definition up there. Biblical hope is that quiet confidence assurance that God will do what he has promised to do. Let's, let's look at that again. <laughs> I mean, look at that. It is the quiet, confident assurance that God will do what he has promised, that God will do what he says he will do. Did you know God the Father has never broken a promise? Did you know God has never reneged on something that he said? Did you know God has never gone, oops, I I didn't really mean that when I said that. I'm sorry about that. Just just kidding. Uh He's never said that, has he? He will do exactly what he said he will do, what he's promised. And that's hope for the Christian. Knowing without a shadow of a doubt that whatever God has said is going to take place. When he says, I will never fail you nor forsake you. You know what that means? (laughs) I will never fail you or forsake you. (laughs) That's what it means. Here are some hopes that we as Christians have, okay? Hope is being raised from the dead and given a new and perfect body just like Christ. Hope is being raised from the dead and being given a perfect body, glorified body just like Christ. That is hope, is it not? That is, we are assured and confident that he'll do that. Acts 24, 15 says it this way. Having hope in God, there we go, which these men cherish themselves, that there should certainly be a resurrection of both the righteous and the unrighteous. There one day is going to be a resurrection, is it not? You can go to First Thessalonians four and talk and see about the rapture, where we will be caught up in the air to be with Him forever and forever, where He will give us this new and glorified body, perfected body. See, that's hope for the Christian, isn't it? That is an assurance. We know that's going to happen. A second hope. Jesus is coming back. And we will live with him forever. That is hope for the Christian. That is hope that he has left and he's coming back. And we with him forever and forever. I don't know about you, but that's encouraging to me. John 14, 2 and 3 says it, enforces that. My father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you so. I go to prepare a place for you, Jesus said. 
And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back again to receive you unto myself. For there where I am, there you will be also. That is a promise that he's given to us. That Jesus is coming back. And for every born again believer, what? He has a place, a mansion, a homestead that we will have one day in glory. Because he has promised that to us. What a beautiful hope that is. Another hope that we see here. The glorious inheritance we will receive from God as his sons and daughters. One day the Bible tells us we will receive this glorious inheritance. That's a promise, is it not? That's a hope. That's assurance. That's a confidence. We read about in 1 Peter 1, 4 and 5 about this. And I love this verse. It says to obtain an inheritance that he's going to give us one day. Which is imperishable. Which will mean that never will rust, never rot, never wear out. That inheritance. And he says it's also undefiled. There will be no sin attached to that inheritance. He said it will never fade away. Never go away. He said it is reserved in heaven just for you. This inheritance. And you know what? It is protected by the power of God. Our inheritance. Do you get that? Do you get that? What he has for us? The inheritance of, of, of us being his sons and daughters? That it is perfection? It will never go away. It will never fade away. It has no sin attached to it. It is reserved. It's got your name on it in heaven. And it's better than Fort Knox because the power of God is going to protect that inheritance for you. That, my friend, is a promise, is it not? That is a hope, a quiet assurance that God's going to do what he said he will do. That's for us. And one more hope I wanted to give you. And that is the hope of eternal security. The hope of eternal security. That when we truly believe in Jesus Christ and made him Lord and Savior, Jesus said, you are eternally secured. And how is that possible, you say? How is he going to do that? Because when we got saved, he gave us the greatest gift he could give us. He gave us the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says, by giving us the Holy Spirit, we are sealed for eternity. We are sealed, which means nothing can pull us away from that seal. That is our deposit that we have received. That is the earnest money that God wants to give to us, the Holy Spirit, which is now the promise of something future that will happen. And that promise is that when we pass from this world, we'll be with him forever and forever. I like that verse in John 10, 29 that says this, my father who has given them to me, believers, is stronger than all. No one will snatch them out of my father's hands. That, my friend, is eternal security. You see, as believers, we have a lot of hope, don't we? I mean, we can know without a shadow of a doubt that one day we'll be raised from the dead. We know without a shadow of a doubt that God, that Christ is coming back someday and we're going to live with him forever. We know without a shadow of a doubt we have a glorious inheritance one day in heaven 
that is protected by the power of God. And we, can, we know without a shadow of a doubt that we have eternal security. And you wonder why Paul was so thankful? <laughs> because of that, that quiet assurance that God will do what he said he would do. Man, I, I hope you're catching that point. I, I don't know how else I can say it. That he has a promise and he's not going to break it. And that is our eternal hope. We have two pillars that we have. Faith in Jesus, love that he's given to us. We have a hope that will last for eternity. And the source of that hope that he will say in verses, verses 5 through 8, he will say the source of that hope is this book right here, God's Holy Word. Divinely inspired, divinely written book that has no errors the book that does not need any other things attached to it the book that says this is my complete love letter to you this book is absolutely truth is it not well yeah you say that they did a study a few years ago of evangelistic Christians whatever that means 62% of those evangelized Christians says there is no absolute truth in this word. Did you you hear that? Only 38 professing Bible-believing Christians believe that absolute truth exists. Wow. This book is absolute truth. You know why this book is absolute truth? Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. (laughs) He is the truth. He is the absolute truth. What he says goes. If you don't believe this is absolute truth, I'll pray for you, okay? Because if this is not absolute truth... You have no faith and you have no hope. If you cannot believe Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. If you can't believe that in faith, you might as well close your book and never read it again. Because you don't believe what that word says. I believe this is absolute truth. This is God's love letter to us. In this book, he, he gives us the message of grace, does he not? He gives us a message of mercy, of love, and forgiveness. That's the source of that hope. We can read of the hope because we read it in his word. It is his love letter to us. This love letter that he's given to us, this source of our hope, is something that we are called to tell others about as Christians. We have this great hope. We have this great love. We have this this faith in him. And he says, what? Go and tell other people. I don't have any other plan. (laughs) I don't have plan B, boys and girls. You're plan A. And your plan A is to go tell others the good news of the gospel. You see what a great source that we have. See, we, we, we don't have to be like those guys in the Old Testament and part of the New Testament where we, we don't have it written down yet. 
we get to read about it. We get to read about Jesus and what he did. We get to read about the hope and what God has promised us. God's word is true. God's word is for every individual on the face of the earth. Paul was so thankful for his faith, his personal faith, the faith of his, the congregation there in, in those folks' lives, the faith that the church had, and he was trying to guard that, was he not? He's so thankful for the hope of a glorious eternity. He was so thankful for the source of that hope through Jesus Christ, which is in his book here. He had an attitude of gratitude, didn't he? And Christians, that we're, that's what we we're called to have, this attitude of gratitude. Because he's taken us from darkness into complete and holy light. So I've got a question for you, Hugh, as we're kind of finishing up here. The faith that you have, the faith that you have, is it in you? Or is it in the person of Jesus Christ? There's a big difference. <laughs> there is an eternal difference in those two. And if you have faith in the person of Jesus Christ, do you love other folks? Do you love the unlovable? Do you love those that, that don't agree with you? Do you love other believers like he's called us to love? No. Do you have the hope of eternal glory one day? Do you have the passion to read this book? Ron? Paul was talking to this church that could have some issues. I don't see those issues here. Paul wanted to strengthen those people. Faith in the person of Jesus Christ is the only place to put your faith. Because that gives us the peace with God and the peace of God that can surpass all understanding. As we prepare for invitation time, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Is your faith based on a person or is your faith based on yourself? Only you can answer that. Do you have the kind of love that God has asked us to have for the other people and other believers? Do you truly believe hope is a confident assurance that he'll do what he says he'll do? And if you believe that, I would just praise him because of that. However the Lord leads you during this invitation time, you pray as the piano plays.